Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, we're continuing our series called I Can See, uh, and we're in a, a portion of it called Carrying the Cross, okay? I Can See is really all about living a life of faith that God will lead you, that God will guide you, that God will direct you by His Spirit, because He will. Now, by this time, before we put up the slide, you guys, since you've been here for weeks and you've been hearing this series, from the, we're going to take a little quiz right here at the very beginning and make sure that everybody knows Proverbs 29, 18, okay? It's just a little fill in the blank, your favorite way to test. No, mo, mo, no multiple cho- choice kids, okay? So uh, I know that's your favorite way. So we're going to fill in some blanks, okay, here this morning. It says, where there is no... All right, you didn't say that convincingly. You're like, oh, yes, okay, there is another word that I, uh, okay. Where there is no, the people, but, (laughs) they're like, oh, the end part of that. In the King James, it says, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. Can I, you know, we haven't been mentioning this for weeks, but I, I just want to tell you something that obedience is crucial to vision. Obedience, walking in obedience to what God has said is absolutely crucial to vision. You, you know, it does no good to actually have a vision from God and do nothing with it. And it actually does no good to have a vision from God and try to go about it in a worldly way and take a worldly approach to trying to make God's plan for your life come to pass. No, it's, it's, it's he that keeps the law. He who does things God's way, happy. That word happy, I happen to know what it means. In the Hebrew, it's Asher. My youngest son's name is Asher. Uh, and it means blessed. Literally, foot dipped in oil. It means blessed. Blessed are you. When you live by vision and walk in obedience to what God is calling you to do. In the New King James, it says this, where there is no revelation, no no idea from the Spirit of God, no prophetic picture that's been revealed, people what? They cast off restraint. They run wild. They do whatever they want to do, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, we've we've uh, beginning to understand that God is actually revealing something something personal through what he is doing corporately. Through our mission, our vision, and our strategy, we're actually learning some things that we can apply to our personal lives. Now, our mission describes the culture of Calvary here. You guys walk by the sign, and by now you should surely be able to repeat this with me after all of these weeks. It is, together, extravagantly love Jesus. Listen, wasn't, wasn't today just, I mean, just an extravagant moment with our Savior it was an extravagant moment. It was awesome. I love our worship team. I love that they're praying. And I love that, that each one of us can be sensitive. And, and even the way that communion is taken 
is in extravagant love for Jesus. You say, you know, uh, you know, some of you may not be used to people who really love Jesus. You're like, really? I am really comfortable with lukewarm worship. There's just not much of that in heaven. So I think the church ought to be like a warm-up for heaven. It's full of passion, full of life. Its heart's fully engaged. We extravagantly love Jesus, and we do that together. But it doesn't stop there. We also, together, selflessly love people. I believe that is birthed out of passion for Jesus, where we learn to be concerned with not only our needs, but the needs of others. And we esteem those, and we say, Lord, I'm able to answer some of those needs. I'm able to be a blessing, and we want that to be the culture of this place. Now, our vision is what we want to see happen in every single person who comes to Calvary. We want to see every single person saved. We want to see them healed. That actually means that, that not only physically in body, but in mind. Because sometimes God takes us out of Egypt and saves us, but we're, we're still dealing with Egypt in us, that we're still, we have a very much a slave mentality, but God wants to bring us out of that and heal our minds to think the way that he thinks. Quoted to you a couple of weeks ago that yeah, Bill Johnson, great quote, he says, I do not have time to think thoughts that God's not thinking about me. Many times a slave mentality from an old life or maybe an old even religious experience will keep us from the fullness that God wants us to, to walk in. So God wants us saved and healed and empowered. We believe that happens by the Spirit and by a journey of self-discovery on how God has designed us uh, for ministry in this world and then launched into our calling. We believe each one of you has a calling to answer and we legitimately do. We want to see that happen in every single one of you. We want no fans of Jesus here. We want elite players in the field of God's kingdom. Everybody engaged. And that's our vision that we want to see in, happen in everyone. But, you know, your, your mission and vision are only as good as your strategy. That which you employ uh, to, to, uh, in corporately and what you want to see working through the lives of every single person. And we describe our strategy as a church is we create environments where people are uh, encouraged and equipped to carry the cross of Christ to their families, to the church, to the community, and to the world. You'll notice that it's an increasing measure. Matter of fact, all this year, our Calvary Church, which you'll see around here, and they're kind of in that heather blue or gray color, depending on how colorblind you are. Uh, you know, it, you'll actually see on the back that that's exactly what it says that our church is about, that we're going to carry the cross to these four quadrants of influence. Our logo, the cross naturally divides uh, our logo into four quadrants, and we believe that we as individuals are supposed to carry the cross to these four areas. Now, we've been talking about that in this series, and if you've missed any of the sermons, go back to InvernessCalvary.com, listen to the podcast. It'll be a blessing. Listen, I mistakenly, uh, I was listening to another podcast, and then mine just started playing on my phone, and that's a little bit weird listening to yourself preach, but man, I was blessed. I was like, whoa, man, I, I would listen to that guy. Kind of weird at first. I was like, ooh, that's a good point. I'm writing that down. Wait, I did write that down before. I need to walk in it. So, now listen, 
Today, we're going to focus on this final quadrant of influence of carrying the cross. And that is carrying the cross to the world. We actually live in an hour where extending our influence globally is possible like never before. The way we communicate has changed dramatically just in the last few years. I mean, think of this, think of this, think of this. You could reach the planet from right here. And no, young ladies, that is not by your selfies, okay? No, that is not what I was doing. Think of this. One billion people on this planet are users of social media called Facebook. There's one billion people on Facebook. And all you have to do is go live. Reinhard Bonnke won 55 million people to Christ in Nigeria in a decade. And when he heard about Facebook, he, this is what he said. He's like, it's a pulpit. It's a pulpit. You know, and, and what, what I want you to understand is your ability to influence the world has dramatically changed. It used to be you would have to have, you know, satellites and you would have to build your own television station. Not now. All you need is free Wi-Fi from, from McDonald's, okay, and a phone. Now, that's the only thing you need to have at McDonald's is the free Wi-Fi. <laughs> you go in the... You go in there and use the Wi-Fi, you'd be falling into a large fry before you know it. <laughs> Our ability to touch the globe really is within arm's reach. And the Internet's takeover of global communication, the landscape, it was almost, listen to this, it was almost instant in historical terms. And we never talk about this in the church. It's wild. We don't talk about this. But the way we communicate has radically changed since 1997. Listen to this. All information of telecommunications in 19, uh, 19 I'm sorry, 1993, 1993, all telecommunicated uh, uh, information on the internet, it was 1% in 93. 1% of all information. Seven years later, only seven years later, by the year 2000, it was up to 51% of all telecommunicated information. In 2007, it was at 97% of all information that was being communicated is now being communicated, communicated across the web. See, the way we communicate has radically changed in one generation. In one generation, we can impact the globe from our living room, from a coffee shop. From anywhere. Now, what we have to understand is that it is our role to communicate the gospel to people everywhere. Listen to this. People in countries with closed borders to the gospel are now being reached through innovative means of communication that didn't even exist 20 years ago. You know, many countries still today, uh, it's illegal to have a Bible. It's illegal. And so for many years, missionaries have been putting their lives at stake to smuggle physical Bibles in. 
Well, guess what's happening now? I recently came across this article. They're still smuggling Bibles in. They just look like phones. And so when they're checked out and the people check them, it just looks like a phone. But when you actually unlock it, the only thing it is is a Bible. And I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, God's Word is going all over the planet. And listen, our ability to influence the world now is closer than ever before. But there is a common thinking that says, well, just because we can doesn't necessarily mean that we should. All that stuff sounds expensive. Can I just warn you that when that voice comes up, you might be hearing from a God called Mammon that Jesus warned implicitly against. He said, he says, man cannot serve God and Mammon, the name of a Syrian God of wealth. And that devil tries to talk to us, and we try to reason out, like, man, is it really worth us trying to reach the world? And I would say this, have you ever asked God what the value of a soul is? Have you ever asked him how much God do you value a soul? Well, I'm going to share with you implicitly today, Calvary has a, claw, a, a call on the church, on this church, to impact the globe for Christ. This is our call. We will answer it. I know that we're in Little Citrus County. I know that. And we're just tucked up here in the woods. I know that. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if our broadband systems are set up to do everything that's in our hearts to do. But here's what I do know. God is probably about to set the stage for it. I want you to understand that if it's, if it's our call as a church, it's your call as somebody who's coming here. God is calling us to carry the cross to the whole world. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me give you three reasons. First, it's our commission. It is our commission as believers to carry the cross to the whole world. And let me first say, let's break this word down, it is our co-mission. You do not go on this mission alone. You are going with the Holy Spirit. You are going with God to influence the world. It's not just on you, but it's you and God walking in step together. Look what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 28, 18, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, remember that phrase, end of the age, because we're going to come back to that. But notice what this says, make disciples of all nations. That word nations is in the Greek, it is actually the word ethnos. And ethnos 
uh, uh, in this understood culture meant one thing. It meant the unreached nations of the Gentiles. It meant that Jesus being a Jew, speaking to his Jewish disciples, was saying, you are going to reach the globe with this message. You are actually going to take this message around the world. It is our call as disciples of Christ to carry the gospel to the world. But never forget, it is a co-mission. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This verse, to understand it in its fullness, is happening between the 50 days, between the resurrection, or b- between Passover and a feast called Pentecost. Pentecost, penta means 50. And so there were 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. And here in this moment, the resurrected Christ is telling his disciples, not the first word, go, but the, he's saying, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. I want you to understand this. The source of a global vision comes with the Holy Spirit. The source of a global vision comes with the Holy Spirit. I know that many times our interactions with God sound like this in prayer. Lord, could you take care of this problem? Lord, could you please fix my kids? They're losing my mind. God, my boss is really getting on my nerves. Could you please do something? Move them, Lord, and give me the promotion. I know what our prayers are like, you know. But have you ever taken a moment... And said, Holy Spirit, what's on your heart today? Holy Spirit, what's on your heart? Because Jesus said, when that Spirit comes on you, He's going to talk to you about Jerusalem. But He's also going to talk to you about the region surrounding Jerusalem named Judea. It wasn't just the city, it was the region it was in. And then, it's not just Judea. It moves north into the people that they didn't really like. The half-breeds, half-Jews, half-Gentiles, the Samaritans. Oh, the gospel's going there. And then what does Christ say? The most outlandish thing. He says, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. Listen, church history tells us this is exactly what the disciples did. First of all, you need to know that the Apostle Mark would leave and go south to Alexandria down in modern-day Egypt. He would found a church. By the way, it still exists today. It's still going today in Egypt. It's called the Coptic Church. It looks a lot like the Catholic Church, only way more Arabic. And the food is awesome. They're amazing people. I was preaching at a Coptic camp. And I was like, you know, Coptic basically equates to Egyptian. And when I showed up at this Coptic camp, the guest speaker, the first thing I announced is like, "Um, first thing you're going to figure out about me is that I am way more redneck than Coptic. (laughs) 
from way down south. I'm not Coptic. I'm a believer. And what we had was a glorious move of the Spirit that started, listen, that started with the apostle that went, that went south. But then there were other apostles, of course. You, you remember the story? We call him Doubting Thomas. I don't know why we always label people by their failures instead of their successes, but we do. And so here's Doubting Thomas, you know, uh, and I, it's my firm belief that Thomas actually, he did have some doubt. There was some doubt there, but he was actually only asking for what happened to the other disciples. Did you know that a week before Thomas had an encounter with Jesus, all the other disciples touched his hands and his side? That's what the scripture tells us. And then they tell him about it, and he says, oh, well, I'm not going to believe unless the very same thing happens to me. We kind of miss that when we're reading the scripture sometimes. And what happens one week later? Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, touch here, touch here. Thomas falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. And out of that declaration, he then begins a crusade that goes all the way to India. We know then also about Paul's uh, interaction with Christ and, and God radically changes his life and he preaches the gospel all over the Mediterranean. Listen, if you get into contact with the Holy Spirit, you will have a global vision. You will have a, the greatest missionary movement in the world is actually connected to our fellowship, the Assemblies of God. It started with a mighty outpouring in Azusa Street in California where a, a, a half-blind black pastor led the greatest revival the earth has ever seen and the effects of that revival at Azusa Street, the outpouring of God's Spirit, has led to hundreds of millions of souls saved around the world. Started in the Azusa Street mission. And it's still going today. The fires of the Holy Spirit igniting hearts for, a, for the nations. I want to say this. and You should write this down. The reach of the church must match the depth of God's heart for humanity. The reach of the church must match the depth of God's heart for humanity. And you have to understand, if you're going to measure the depth of God's heart, then you must measure it by the price that was paid. And heaven gave its most precious and prized possession, the only Son of God. I say it this way. God bankrupted heaven to have relationship with humanity. For you and I, He bankrupted heaven. And our reach should match God's heart for humanity. It's our commission. Not only uh, should we carry the cross of the world because it's our commission, we should actually carry the cross because it is the last days. It's the last days. Let me say this and say this loudly. Jesus is coming soon. 
Jesus is coming soon. And, 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 and listen, uh, you, you need to understand something. If when I say that, fear wells up in your heart, it's, that, that's not the response you should have. That's not the response. The, the, the Scripture tells you that you should be comforted by those words that our Savior is coming. And if you're not, you're, you're actually one moment of grace away from knowing that comfort. One moment of forgiveness, of knowing what it is to be a son or a daughter of God when you repent and give your life to him. But Jesus is coming soon. And the reason that why we have to have a global impact is because he is on his way. Romans 13, 10, listen to this. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, listen to these words, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Why should we carry the cross to the world? Because it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. The hour is far spent. We do not have time. There is an urgency to the gospel. It must go out now. There's so, approaching 7.5 billion people on this planet. Many passing into eternity as we speak. And in my estimation, nearly 5.5 billion of those are apart from Christ right now. Jesus is coming. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It is time for the church to wake up out of her slumber and be begin to proclaim with boldness that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon, and yet many remain silent when it comes to preaching the gospel. I want to give to you a quote today from an atheist. Many of you will know him from the, 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 the kind of the silly magic act Penn and Teller. Many of you are familiar with him. They have a show long standing in Vegas. Well, Penn Gillette is an outspoken atheist. But I want you to let the words of an atheist pierce your heart today. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you really think it's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. An atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. 
I love it when God will use an unbeliever to speak to the church. And I'm telling you that, listen, there is a truck bearing down. It's called eternity. And we are living in the age of grace. But the the day of the age of grace, one day that door will close. It will come to a consummation. And we're encouraged by the words of 1 Thessalonians 4.16 where it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. We're encouraged by those words but you need to also uh, hear the urgency of those words that there's an event coming and it is the final moment Christ is coming and Jesus released the Holy Spirit on the earth so that you and I would go tell the whole world not so that we would just grow in our theological arguments so we can have great coffee talk with other believers God expects us to transform this world. By the way, he doesn't have a plan B. His only plan in leaving this planet is, I'm going to give you my spirit, and you have to choose to cooperate with the vision that's in his heart. And his vision is the whole world. His vision is the whole world. And this time, this age of grace is summing up. Many of you know Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins. And in this parable, we, 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 we find this, this, this great story where five were wise and five were unwise. The five wise, they had their lamps with oil, but they also had extra oil. And then there were the virgins who had the lamps, but they actually didn't have extra oil. We would describe that oil as the oil of relationship, the oil of intimacy with God through Jesus. And then when the bridegroom comes for these virgins, it is the wise who are ready. And yet the unwise, their lamps begin to go out. And they say to the wise, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, 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 we cannot do that. The answer to them was no. They say, ooh, that wasn't the Christian thing to do. Evidently it was because it was Christ who's saying these words. No, go and buy for yourselves oil. Which says something, Jesus is saying, nobody can buy your intimacy with God for you. And it says this, while they went out to buy, so they were in this process of seeking, the bridegroom came and those who were ready with oil went in and the door was shut. Matthew 25, 10, when they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Then he says this, watch therefore. This is the meaning. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He's saying that we have to live in a ready relationship with God. And that is our message. 
to the entire planet. Live ready because the bridegroom is coming and the age of grace, that door will close. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You need to know for you, the door of grace is standing open. But one day there will be a trumpet and one day the dead will rise and those who are alive and remain will be caught up with him and then the door will close. Why do we have to reach? Why do we have to reach the world now? Because it feels like his hands on the door. We're living in an age where prophecies are being fulfilled, which just 50 years ago, 60 years ago, the world thought impossible. Impossible. It's the last days. That's why we have to carry the cross to the world. The last reason I'm going to give you today about why we have to carry the cross to the world is because it displaces deception. It displaces the deception. There is, there's so much deception that's in the world. On Saturday, on my front porch, I had just dozed off. Oh, I was, I was tired after the event, you know, and I was, it was, it was kind of hot from cleaning up. I was sitting there under the ceiling fan on my couch, leaning back in that recliner. It was glorious. I dozed off for a second, only to hear my kids saying, Dad, 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 there's someone on our front porch. They're like, Dad. I'm like, okay, who is it? I don't know, but they're wearing white shirts. I was like, oh, good. (laughs) I got right up. I'm like walking outside. I'm like, they're like, hey, how are you? We're missionaries. I said, I know who you are. (laughs) I said, we would like you to watch this video about Easter. I said, yeah, let's watch it. They played this awesome video. It was all about how Christ was raised from the dead and conquered sin and was giving peace to the whole world. At the end of the video, I was like, that was awesome. That was terrific. I'm like, yeah, yeah. They were looking at me. Okay. I was like, yeah, he is the prince of peace, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I'm like, oh, yeah. So um, we're just here to describe, uh, you know, that a personal relationship with Jesus is, 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 is possible. I said, I, I believe it's possible. And I believe it's, it's flourishing like never before. We're like, okay. I can see in their minds, they're like, this guy is not going according to our script. They're like, oh, well, do, do you go to church? I said, yeah, I go to church, and I, and I pastor one, too. <laughs> like, oh. I said, yeah, yeah. She goes, well, we believe that there was a, and a great 
apostasy, a falling away. I said, oh, me too. The dark ages, they stunk. But you know what? God sent the Holy Spirit, and he was still working. No matter how dark the church was, he was still working and still saving and still moving. And I said, I could tell you this story. He's still doing it today. They're like, they're like, I mean, if they had caught me awake, like on one cup of coffee, they'd have been signing up for our membership class, okay? And they were like, oh yeah, but we believe the church has been reestablished on the found, you know, with, with the apostles and prophets. I'm like, I believe in the fivefold too. They were like, not on our script, not on our script, not on our script. I'm like, yes. They were like blown away. And they were like, I was like, but here's what I have a problem with. That when an angel showed up preaching another gospel, Joseph Smith didn't know the word enough to say, Mormonize, shut your mouth. you got to stop because it says, if I or an angel preach another gospel in, in, in Colossians, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. I said, that's the problem I have. I said, I have some trouble with that. And he goes, well, we don't believe it's another gospel. I said, I'm just going to tell you what I read in the Bible. We'll say, can we come back and read the Book of Mormon? I said, yeah, no. No. You can come back. We can read the Bible together. I'm telling you, if I hadn't been napping, it would have been dangerous. They were like, it's awesome. Listen, the gospel displaces deception. The worst fear for all kinds of error is somebody who actually knows the Bible and beyond that, knows the God of the Bible. The gospel displaces deception. You know, in, the, in Acts chapter 14, uh, Barnabas and Paul ran into a city called Lystra. And in Lystra, this, this place is filled with idolatry. It's filled with people worshiping false gods, Zeus and Hermes. They're, they're worshiping all kinds of false gods. But when they show up, they show up with the power of God and they heal a man who's been crippled his whole life. The city starts to rejoice, but in the wrong way. Because why? They're in deception. And they immediately get like, we're going to sacrifice to these two guys because the gods have now come to us. And so the response of the uh, uh, apostles was, was profound when they're carrying uh, this, they're saying Barnabas is Zeus, and they're saying Paul is Hermes because he was the guy talking a lot. I love that Barnabas raised up Paul, and Paul was the guy who was talking a lot. Okay, I love that. I just love that relationship. You know, one day we'll talk more about that, how to raise up a voice. Because that's what spiritual fathers do. That's a series coming soon. And so here's what happens. Here's what happens. In this place of deception... So when they saw that they were coming to sacrifice them, and they almost couldn't be stopped, Acts 14, 14 says, When the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard this, they tore their clothes, ran in among the multitude, crying out, uh, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own 
ways. Two common deceptions in the world from Acts chapter 14. Two common ones. Number one, people are worshiping useless things. It's going on all around the world. They are worshiping useless things. And the other common deception is that they are being allowed to walk in their own ways, not God's. And the gospel displaces these two things. Right now, in India, there is a celebration that happens called Thai Pusan. Thai Pusan is a very interesting event. And in my preparation, I actually found this. The Lord led it to me. Never heard of it before. And basically, it is this. It's a legendary tale of, of a God who is sent from heaven to take on an evil God. And he comes, and by piercing him with the spear, this evil one, pierces him with the spear, he overcomes him. And so... In the religion, the common religion of India, they now believe in celebration of this legend that they can pierce themselves through with hooks in their backs over and over, many hooks. If you were to look at the pictures, you would see the hooks. And not only are they hooked, those hooks are attached to ropes that they are dragging behind them. Not only are they attached to ropes, but sometimes they have these milk pots that are hanging off of hooks that are in their flesh. Some of them pierce their mouths through. All of it symbolic of trying to purge themselves of the sinful nature that's in their flesh. When I read this story, I saw some profound similarities. Oh, it, it gets even more profound. The adherents of this celebration, while pierced, they climb a hill. 292 steps. And once at the top of the hill, they ask for grace. These are, these are the exact words. They ask for grace to overcome the sins that beset their flesh. And they believe because they are pierced that they will receive grace to be better people. Can I, can I just say, the devil is such a liar but he can't, he does not have an original idea. Because God did send his only son down. And by nails and a spear was pierced. And through that sacrifice, he did defeat him. And he did walk a hill called Golgotha. And he did go to the place of the skull and was pierced and hung there. Six hours suspended between heaven and earth. He did that 
Not so that you and I would somehow have to destroy our own flesh. It's so you and I could receive the free gift of grace through faith in what he did for us. There is a deception. And the thing that displaces deception is the truth. And while we remain silent, men and women pierce themselves and walk some 21 miles in this perception, uh, procession with shoes off to the point where their feet bleed in hopes of grace. Can you imagine when they hear the real gospel and think God removes the hooks from the inside? And they can't hold us anymore when we place our faith in Him. The world is filled with over 5 billion people who are apart from Christ, and we must go. Well, what's our strategy? We'll finish up by saying this. Our strategy to carry the cross of the nations is simply found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, 14, and 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I believe there's this, the threefold approach is, is, is actually revealed right here. How we carry the cross. First, we believe. We believe. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, you know what? The church is filled with knowers, just not a lot of believers. Do you really believe that God sent his son to pay the price for all of humanity? Do you believe? I believe God is saying, listen, if you want to reach the world, you have to believe. You have to believe that this gospel, which changed your life, will change the world. I'm telling you as a testimony, I have preached a gospel in Macedonia, preached a gospel in Swaziland, preached a gospel in Zambia. I have preached a gospel on the shores of Brazil and in gymnasiums all over this county. And here's what I'm going to tell you. The gospel works everywhere it's preached and everywhere it's received by faith. I believe that the gospel of Jesus changes lives. And if we're going to touch the world, it will be because we believe. We believe. The next thing that we do is we preach. Verse 14 says, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not believed? heard and how shall they hear without a preacher you say what do we preach here's what we preach Jesus's death burial and resurrection we preach Jesus's death burial you say why do we preach the burial I don't know why we've been skipping that one that's actually a very important one we preach his burial because Jesus took the sins of the whole world to where they belong He was buried and he takes the sins of the whole world into the grave. 
and leaves them there and starts to exit. And I can imagine the imps and Satan going, wait, 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 where are you going? I say, you can have the sin, but you can't hold me. I have a resurrection. We preach his death payment for all sin, his burial, his utter defeat of sin and its influence on humanity and his resurrection because it is our hope that when he was raised from the dead, then we too shall be raised from the dead, made in his likeness. We shall have the same life that was in Christ Jesus that raised him from the dead. That's what we preach. We preach the death, burial, and resurrection which opens the door to God's Spirit without which we cannot do anything. The last thing, not only do we believe we preach, we send. It says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? We at Calvary will generously support short-term and long-term missionaries who go to the end of the earth. You say, short-term mission trips are so expensive. Listen, you have no idea the value of the soul. As soon as you measure the value of a soul against a dollar, you have not understood the, the, the true measure of, of what a soul is worth. I heard a story about a man who traveled six weeks across Africa, six weeks across Africa, rented a motorcycle to go to this village. He drove six hours on that, that, that motorcycle to get to this village, which he heard was unreached. When he got there, the chief of the village came out. He was almost 100 years old. When he, t- he said, okay, I'm, I've come to share with you the good news. God has sent me with a message. Go and get the village. And he said, okay. He went and got his brother who was in his 90s. That's all that was left of the village. He preached the gospel. Both men get saved. He walks away that day feeling, this missionary, feeling a little defeated, going, God, six weeks of travel? Six hours on a motorcycle, all this money, and God's Spirit spoke to him and said, Today, I've taught you the value of a soul. I've taught you the value of a soul. We're not going to hold back from supporting short-term missionaries who are sent to certain areas. Now, don't try to go where you're not sent. That's not a good idea. There's no grace. Grace won't meet you there. But if you go where you're sent, God will open a door for you. And we're going to support long-term missionaries who go to the ends of the earth, who abandon everything as a call. And we're going to say, we're going to send you so people can hear and people can believe so they then can go and preach and they then can send so others can hear and receive the glorious gospel of Christ. Notice the end of Romans 10, 15. It's how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Here's what I believe. I believe many will respond to the gospel all around the world the way they did to Jesus on Palm Sunday. You know that's today. Palm Sunday. Remember the story of this 
triumphant entry into Jerusalem. From Matthew 21, verse 7, it says, They brought a donkey and a colt, and they laid their clothes on them and, sat, and, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread, spread their clothes on the road, cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before uh, 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 then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10 says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? See, Romans chapter 8 actually says that there's a groan in the world for the revelation of the sons of God. I believe there's a groan right now in the world for the church to truly walk as sons and daughters of God. And I believe that the way that they welcomed Christ, some, not all, some, not all, will, will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If God puts a nation on your heart, I promise you that there will be those who don't yet know Christ who say, I welcome this message. I welcome it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You may show up and they say, who is this? Who is this? Say, oh, that's those prophets from Inverness. <laughs> who have come to proclaim glad tidings and good news. Time is short, church. And I believe with all of my heart that you and I together are supposed to impact the globe with the gospel. I believe that out of this place, I got a word from the Lord. It's, it's like one of those guideposts. That out of this church, there will come 100 legitimate voices in the earth. You see, the scriptures describe that when the apostles came to town, the testimony was as those who have turned the world upside down have now come here. John the Baptist said, he said, I am a voice. He was out in the wilderness and the people came to him. I believe that out of this place, God's going to raise up 100 legitimate voices whose voices carry authority, whose words, like Samuel, never fall to the ground. They actually accomplish exactly what God wants to accomplish. And where is that going to happen? I don't know. I just think it's going to happen all over the world. And that when you open your mouth, there is a grace on the words that drip. They, they drip with the invitation of heaven saying, Come, all who would receive him. Come, experience forgiveness and grace and power through His Holy Spirit. That's what God's called us to. If you're here today and you've never received that grace that God's offering, today's your day. God brought you here. And this is your moment where everything changes. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast from Calvary Church. Our prayer for you is that you experience all that God is offering through a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Please, take time to connect with us and share what God is doing in your life through this ministry. 
you can connect with us through our website, InvernessCalvary.com, or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening to this message, and God bless. Thank you.